0: On average, it takes 9 to 15 years of untreated illness to be diagnosed with and treated for a primary immunodeficiency. Recent studies estimate that 70 to 90% of those with PI do not yet have a diagnosis. You're listening to Undiagnosed, an Immune Deficiency Foundation podcast. These are the true stories of the harrowing journey diagnosis. For the sake of privacy, participants in this program will appear with full or partial anonymity. Imagine an energetic young girl. As the oldest of four children under the age of five, She's the caretaker of her siblings. She's a bit of a teacher's pet and has an inquisitive mind. She does well in school despite being constantly on the move as the daughter of a naval officer. She's the type of child who goes ice skating in the winter and eats carrots straight from the garden. You'd likely never assume that a debilitating illness would alter every aspect of that young girl's life. Because that illness is invisible to everyone but her. For that energetic young girl, much of the story of her life would be colored by missed opportunities for proper care, by a complex web of unrelated but entangled health issues that pointed to a larger problem no one would understand for more than six decades. That young girl is Sandy. This journey is hers. For Sandy... The first signs of a complex health issue came during infancy and early childhood. As a newborn, she experienced severe colic and was diagnosed with a milk allergy, which was addressed with a soy-based formula. As her childhood progressed, Sandy recalls being constantly ill, which she was encouraged to take in stride.
1: I was the one relied on to be responsible and caretaking from an early age. It was like, yeah, you're sick, but get over it, hurry up, you know, you got to be well. My dad was involved in uh, educational television, but I had to play a sick child at age four. And um, he had me pretend to be sick, but I was really sick. <laughs> so it, it worked out well. It was, I was sick a lot.
0: Those instances of incessant colds came to a head at age seven. After six months of constant coughing, Sandy's mother carried her to the doctor, where she was diagnosed with walking pneumonia. And hospitalized for a week. During her stay, Sandy was often alone. There were regular chest x-rays and every few hours she had to hang over the side of the bed in order to drain her lungs. Such an isolating incident at a young age could prove to be traumatic for any child. Sandy, however, credits an exceptional nursing staff with not only taking care of her but for instilling a spark of purpose that endures to this day.
1: No one thought PI at age seven. It was in the 1960s. Because my mom had three other kids, they couldn't visit me in the hospital. So they got very close with the nurses. For a week, I was, you know, they were my role models, the nurses and my playmates, which further inspired me to be a nurse.
0: Unfortunately, the various medical staff responsible for Sandy's care throughout her life would not always be so helpful. Just like her childhood, Sandy's adolescence was checkered with bouts of infections and allergies, a laundry list of problems ranging from mononucleosis and pneumonia to bladder infections and severe reactions to antibiotics. At age 24, during the birth of her first child, Sandy suffered through a prolonged two day labor. At 26, when she was pregnant with her second child, Sandy suffered excruciating back pain and even loss of lower body function. After numerous doctor visits, She was no better off. She worked as a nurse in a coronary care ICU where the physical demands of caring for patients were nearly impossible. She recalls helping patients into and out of bed at a time where she was unable to walk without dragging her leg behind her. Sandy describes this scenario, being told to tough it up until her body has reached the point of shutting down, as the norm throughout her life, rather than the exception.
1: Three months after she was born, I was in horrible pain and still in horrible pain. And I went to several different doctors. No one would take me seriously. And eventually I got to the point where my bowel and bladder shut down and I couldn't move. I had to call my husband. Um, I was in Baltimore. He was in working in Washington, D.C. I said, you've got to come home. I can't care for the kids. Two children under the age of three. And he took me to the ER. We got care for the kids. He took me to the ER and it was horrible. Had, everything had shut down. It was an emergency situation. I was on morphine every four hours. It wouldn't help. But because I had been gaslighted and no one took a 26-year-old who looks healthy, seriously. And that was a kind of the, it, it, that's maybe not PI related, but that's how my, my, Illnesses went where it had to get to the point where I was nearly on my deathbed before anybody did anything.
0: How many times would you say that happened?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a hard question to answer because it happened so often. It's happened a lot. Was it difficult to be a mom? I um, fortunately married the best husband in the world <laughs> because I had, when I had my back surgery at 26, he stepped in and, um, helped out, and when I had back surgery again at age 36, he and the kids learned how to cook, how to clean, how to fold clothes, how to do everything. So I don't know what I would have done without him because he was—he had to step in. I felt bad for him because he had to work full time.
0: Two things remained constant for Sandy throughout an adulthood of severe infections, hospitalizations, and disability. Her husband, Bob, and her energetic passion for the importance of quality healthcare, Determined despite her illness, she went back to school in her 40s and received a master's degree in public health. She got a job as a quality improvement coordinator and communicator for a health plan, which she'd intended to be a full career, even though her husband was nearing retirement. All the while, she endured debilitating gastrointestinal problems, painful infections, including in her eye and urinary tract, sleep apnea requiring surgery, Multiple back surgeries, voice loss, severe menstrual bleeding, and a full hysterectomy. After each surgery, like clockwork, her immune system failed to fight off post-operative infections, leading to longer and longer hospitalizations, a threat all too familiar for PI sufferers. But through all her symptoms and red flags, Sandy remained undiagnosed and untreated. As she prepared to move cross-country to San Diego to begin her new career, she received the standard hepatitis B vaccine required for her job. When she arrived in San Diego, she had no titers for hepatitis B immunity and was simply told to take the vaccine again. No one bothered to look closer. Only five years into the new career Sandy had worked so hard to get, her employers became unwilling to accommodate her regular sick days often caused by gastrointestinal flares and respiratory infections. In 2010, she was left with no choice but to retire at the age of 54.
1: I had a terrible sinus infection, and my boss wanted me to fly from San Diego to San Francisco for a conference. They had paid for a conference, and my husband said, you are not going. You are too sick. You're on steroids. You're on all this medication. You are not going, and that you know that goes against even though i worked for a healthcare organization if you get sick you know and you're putting they're putting out money for you and you can't get on an airplane that impacts them so they begin to look well are you really cut out for this job and they were making making it hard on me because i wasn't able to do the job full-time so my job where i thought we'd have an income for the next 20 years got cut short at five years because of my illness so yeah it did impact us
0: That same year, Sandy started seeing an immunologist for the GI issues that had prematurely ended her career. Still, despite a growing public awareness of immunocompromised conditions, there was no whisper that she might be suffering from a primary immunodeficiency. Ever the optimists, Sandy and Bob found the silver lining of this early retirement, an abundance of time together, not dictated by the demands of their careers. Throughout this, infections, stomach problems, and doctor visits would continue, including evaluation at the University of California at San Diego, after her immunologist diagnosed her with fructose malabsorption. It was during this visit that a particularly painful missed opportunity took place. Among the myriad of tests conducted on her, university doctors also checked Sandy's immunoglobulin levels. Typically, a deficiency in Ig levels is a clear indication that a larger health issue is present. Among the three major classes of immunoglobulins, IgG, IgA, and IgM, PI patients typically show a deficiency that echoes across all three. Sandy was only tested for two. Her IgG and IgA levels were low normal, had her IgM levels been tested, doctors would have discovered a deficiency that could have shortened her time to diagnosis by nearly a decade. In 2014, as Sandy's back worsened after years of surgeries and therapies, They decided to move out of the two-story house in San Diego where they had raised their children and across town to a home with a more accommodating single-story. One sunny afternoon in April of 2014, the very day Sandy was discharged from therapy for a ruptured disc and three weeks from the closing date of their new home, Sandy, Bob, and their dog were on a neighborhood walk when disaster struck the family once again. Only this time, Sandy's role was reversed.
1: We were walking across the street. We said bye to our neighbors as we walked up the street because we were moving soon. We looked both ways. I walked out, he walked out, and he just kept going. And I slowed down and heard a car coming and stopped. And I yelled to him, and it was, it was that quick. She was going 40 miles an hour or more and just took him out just in front of me. And he went flying 50 feet down the road, <clears throat> A car was coming up the hill, and I waved, flagged him down, and said, "Call nine one." I couldn't dial. I couldn't dial nine one one. I said, "Call nine one one," and um, fortunately, we're very fortunate. A police officer lived nearby, and she came out. She got her car and blocked the road, and and um, called the. They you know got the ambulance, got us sitting on the side of the road, and she held his head. Had anybody moved him, he would have died. So. She held him and all the neighbors came up and they said, she said, don't touch him. You can touch me. Do not touch him. And they all prayed over him and while well, I sat there. And then we went in the ambulance to the hospital and um, yeah, he's lucky to be alive.
0: The accident left Bob in critical condition. He broke numerous bones, including a fractured neck, had two concussions, and was placed in intensive care. Their son, who was also living in San Diego at the time, moved in with Sandy to assist with a move that was already underway so she could focus her energy on Bob. Miraculously, he would go on to recover almost fully over the course of the next year.
1: It took a toll on my immune system, but I think the adrenaline cuff kept me going for a long, long time afterwards because I had to step up. Maybe all the training of stepping up helped <laughs> because uh, I had to move. And fortunately, my son you know, was like, mom, you need to do this today. Mom, you need to do that today. <laughs> um, empty some boxes. Here, Go we'll do this. So um, it was a traumatic time, but we grew closer as a family.
0: As Bob recovered, Sandy was forced to ignore her own health almost entirely to cope with the day-to-day stress of the accident's wake. Severe as they were, back and stomach pain seemed, at the time, not so important compared to what Sandy and Bob had just lived through. This is not entirely uncommon among PI patients with long journeys to diagnosis, as the demands of life often overshadow symptoms that they've learned to tolerate. After several months of recovery, Bob insisted that Sandy make time to address her own pain. In her late 50s and early 60s, some of the missing pieces would finally begin to fall into place. In 2016, during an MRI for back pain, an orthopedic doctor discovered she had pneumonia despite having been vaccinated. Then, for three months in 2017, Sandy had another of her infamous chronic sinus infections that refused to respond to antibiotics. At about that time, Sandy and Bob were planning a vacation to France to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. They fully understood the gravity of such a milestone, especially considering how many times it had almost been taken away from them. As fate would have it, Sandy's immunologist would soon accept a new patient, a woman Sandy's own age and with a lifetime of symptoms that mirrored her own. This patient had come at a referral from an ear, nose, and throat specialist who had diagnosed her with a disorder called Common Variable Immunodeficiency. This random crossing of paths would prove to be a monumental shift that would change so much about Sandy's life. As the holiday in France approached, Sandy developed a bright red rash on both of her palms. She called the immunologist for advice. Only now, the doctor was able to finally see a clear diagnosis. Knowing how important the upcoming trip was for Sandy and her husband, she gave Sandy an antibiotic for the journey, orders to take allergy medication every few hours, and instructions to schedule an appointment to discuss her new diagnosis as soon as they returned from abroad. But even this would prove to be complicated.
1: She gave me an antibiotic to take with me to France. And because of all my reactions to antibiotics, I thought, I better take this before I go. So I, on the Sunday before we left, I took the antibiotic and ended up in anaphylaxis in the ER.
0: <laughs> Despite this setback, Sandy and Bob were able to visit France as planned for a much-needed celebration of their lives together. Of course, they had no way of knowing that on the other side of their vacation, they'd find a new sense of clarity beyond what even rest and relaxation can provide. As instructed, Sandy went into her immunologist's office for an appointment as soon as she returned. The immunologist, whom she'd been seeing since 2010, said, I finally know what's wrong with you, and handed her a copy of the Immune Deficiency Foundation's Patient and Family Handbook. Sandy was diagnosed with CVID, or Common Variable Immunodeficiency. Like most PIs, much about CVID is still not fully understood, including the number of people affected by it. Sandy wasn't quite ready to accept the news. Her mother's health was in decline, and true to her nature as a perpetual caretaker, her first response wasn't to accept help, but rather to try and focus on the needs of others.
1: She said, you have this common variable immune deficiency. And I went, what's that? <laughs> I was in total shock. I was like, No, I'm always, I'm fine. I don't have that. And I was like, I'm too busy. My mother's sick and I've got to do, I've got to caretake.
0: Reluctantly, Sandy accepted a free month trial of subcutaneous immunoglobulin therapy. Successful treatment, however, wasn't immediate. Due to the specialized nature of subcutaneous infusions, not all nurses have had the training necessary to properly administer it. Sandy described her first infusion as a nightmare. The nurse had to video chat with a trainer for assistance and Sandy was left with a severe skin infection. She told her doctor she'd rather be sick all the time than continue. As someone with a nearly four-decade career in nursing and public health, she points to this as yet another common occurrence that people with PI should not have to endure to get proper treatment.
1: My other passion is to have people understand that a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. You can't just send any nurse and say she can teach her how to do sub-Q. She was fired after she came to see me because she ran it in too fast. I had a major uh, reaction. No, students found out there's a certification for sub-Q infusion. Um, and they just, for whatever reason, money or whatever, don't want to hire the people who know how to do it. And sub-Q has a lot of ins and outs. And and it took me a good year or two to learn all the um, what's best for my body, what rate is best, what, what sites are best. It's a learning experience. So I had that bad first experience and I went into my immunologist and said, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'd rather not do this and get sick all the time than, than have cellulite. She said, no, we'll try something else.
0: Fortunately, after a rocky start, Sandy and her doctor were able to find a treatment regimen that worked. She now takes subcutaneous infusions once per week, which she has learned to administer herself. With this treatment, Sandy has had no major health problems or hospitalizations since her diagnosis in 2017.
1: My life is so much better. I had no idea that people don't get sick all the time. (laughs) I get like one, one or two illnesses a year, if that, and my body fights it off. I just go to bed, and within a day or two, I feel better, and it's like, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> to me, it's just like, this is, gives me my life back. I, I guess at going six, 60 years without having a life and then <laughs> having a, a life again is like, whoa, <laughs> I can be normal
0: Soon, Sandy was able to find a new normal, a normal without the previously constant pain of infections and GI flare-ups, a normal where she had the ability and the desire to be an advocate and a caretaker for herself, rather than just for those around her.
1: What did your husband and children think about the diagnosis? Was that kind of a relief for them? Well, I think at first it was hard for them to believe um, because I was always the strong one and the capable one and pushing through everything. So, um, our first Christmas, my son was out, he had moved to Texas and he and his girlfriend wanted to come visit. And I said, you have to be, get a flu vaccine to be, visit. Oh, mom, you don't need, we don't need flu vaccines. They don't do anything anyway. You know, that whole thing. And my husband backed me up. He said, no, you cannot visit without getting a flu vaccine. Mom has this condition. And I we put our foot down and eventually they both got flu vaccines. And when they came to visit, I showed them my infusion. And I think actually seeing the infusion, they went, oh, you do this every week? <laughs> and then they got it. It wasn't, oh, we can put mom off and go, yeah, yeah, you're just making it all up, kind of thing. I had to draw a boundary. I had to draw a line. Well, I finally had a diagnosis. So, you know, you don't think anyone's gonna believe you when you grow up like this and you think you're this is normal for people not to believe you until you're empowered with this diagnosis and through the IDF learning how to advocate for yourself. Then you go, I can draw this boundary now for myself because I have this reason why. I need you to get vaccinated. I need people around me to wear masks. It's a big learning curve when you're not the kind of person to advocate for yourself.
0: Of course, empowerment comes from more than just a diagnosis. It comes from community. Sandy found that community in programs like IDF's Get Connected groups for which she served as a leader. There, she found others with stories like hers. Stories of adversity, of gaslighting and of isolation. At this time, there was one particular individual whose path felt more than just a little familiar to Sandy.
1: The woman who got diagnosed the same time I did, um, she was sent by the ENT to the immunologist with the diagnosis of CVID. And so she was learning about it at the same time I was learning about it that September, October. And we were um, both going into the IDF Facebook group at the same time. And she put her doctors in, her names of her doctors in. I messaged her and said, where do you live? Those are my doctors. That's my pulmonologist, my ENT and my immunologist. Do you live near me? And she did. She lived within 30 minutes. And we messaged each other back and forth. But it's, you know, it's a little like, this is kind of weird, and I went to the ENT and I I showed him. I said, apparently, I have this thing called CVID. and he was kind of like smiling, like I can't tell you that I have another patient with it, but yeah. And so we he did um, sinus nasal surgery on us back to back in January, both of us, and we were still kind of texting and found out we were back to back surgeries. And we said, we've got to meet up. We agreed to meet up at the farmer's market after we recovered from our surgery. And she said, how will I know what you look like? I said, I'll have my zebra mask on. And so she had her zebra mask on and we met up at the farmer's market and we became fast friends and turned out we had been born the same month the same year we were diagnosed the same month so we celebrate our anniversary every year of <laughs> the diagnosis and we're on the same medication and she too had been pushing through she was very brilliant gone to school raised two kids same kinds of things where she pushed through everything so we had so much in common and we started buying each other zebra things. So she bought me the earrings and the necklace. <laughs> it gives you a uh, a feeling of belonging, and um, I'm not in this alone. And unfortunately, it seems in this society, we value people who pick themselves up by their bootstraps and go it alone. So it's going in a sense, swimming downstream when everyone's going upstream, swimming in the opposite direction and going, no, I do need help. I do need someone to help me navigate this because I can't know everything. And part of being a nurse is that whole persona of I know things. I know a lot of medical stuff. And even though you know a lot of medical stuff, you don't know everything. So it's being willing to admit there's some things I don't know. There were things my immunologist didn't know that's what keeps me going. I want other people to have that experience of not feeling so alone because it's so isolating. And I don't know how I would have gotten through it without her, without having a, a buddy like that. And then I moved across the country, so I miss her, but we still text and call all the time.
0: When you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras. This advice is repeated in the lecture halls of medical schools around the world. It's a mindset that leads to the misdiagnosis and prolonged suffering of thousands of people, not only with PI, but with other rare chronic diseases. It's in spite of this adage that Sandy wears white and black stripes on her clothing and jewelry and signs her emails with a zebra emoji. For her and for countless others, it's a symbol of profound hope, a reminder of what she's overcome, a proclamation that no one should have to navigate the waters of diagnosis and treatment alone after 61 years of acting as a caretaker for everyone else sandy's diagnosis finally enabled her to take care of herself thank you for listening to undiagnosed an immune deficiency foundation podcast your support of idf helps to ensure that people like sandy get the advocacy education and community support they deserve To donate, volunteer, or learn more about primary immunodeficiency, visit primaryimmune.org.